Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm Carla Nappi, and this is New Books in East Asian Studies. Thank you for joining us. I just spoke with William Marotti about his new book, Money, Trains, and Guillotines, Art and Revolution in 1960s Japan, and Duke University Press published this book in 2013. Now, you will definitely find money, you will find trains, and you will find guillotines in this book. It's a really thoughtful exploration and thoughtful both in terms of its structure and its narrative architecture, as well as the arguments that it's making within that structure and within that architecture about the emergence of a particular mode of practice by a group of people that we might retrospectively identify as artists, but who didn't all self-identify in that way, in the context of a rising political consciousness in occupied Japan in the 1960s and in in some um, parts of the story in the 1950s. So this is a book that really interestingly brings together elements of cultural history, elements of political history, close reading of texts, and a really sensitive accounting of artistic practice into a story that works on several levels of perspective. So the the story unfolds by holding close this particular paradigmatic work, the work of not a counterfeiting, but a kind of simulacrum of a thousand yen notes, money notes, currency, by this artist, Akasagawa Genpei, and taking that as a focal point from which to expand and then go in closer, switch our angle, look at it in a different way, look at it from a different perspective, and understand how it was possible for this artistic work to emerge, how it uh, had many, many kinds of ramifications within its larger context, and how this might tell us a story about not only 1960s Japan and the modes and practices of political activism in places that we might not ordinarily look for them, but also about what different and innovative modes of cultural history might look like if we don't necessarily hew to a straightforwardly chronological narrative of a story, but if instead we use and play with chronology as a way to open up different kinds of perspectives on events, on moments, and on modes of practice. So it's a really interesting story full of lots and lots of uh, really close readings of objects as well as texts, um, accounts of different forms of practice, including gatherings, including music, including essays and writing and articles. We only barely scratched the surface of this really fascinating book, and I recommend it to you, and I hope you enjoy. We're here today to talk with William Marotti about his book, Money, Trains, and Guillotines, Art and Revolution in 1960s Japan. Welcome to New Books in East Asian Studies, and thank you so much for spending the time to talk with me today about what's a very beautiful and very inspiring new book. 
Thank you so much, Carla. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. So could you start us off by saying a little bit about your background? What brought you to, if you can think back to what inspired you to come to the field of modern Japanese history and modern Japanese history with an eye to an interest in political and artistic um, expression in particular, um, what brought you to this general field? Boy, uh, you know, to be honest about about sort of the narrative that leads me to this point, uh, I, I have to say it's 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 not a sort of a straight line kind of a, a deal, and maybe it, maybe it has something to do with uh, how I approach history as well, um, with the sort of notion of, about uh, the importance of contingency. Uh, there's a lot of contingent elements. <laughs> um, uh, I, I had an encounter uh, in college with uh, some fairly funky aspects of uh, uh, Japanese cultural production when uh, as a uh, undergraduate at the University of Michigan, uh, I, I saw a performance by the uh, the Buto troupe uh, Sankai Juku, uh, as well as the uh, uh, the uh, the island drumming group from uh, Sadagashima uh, uh, Kodo, um, and uh, that together with some uh, literature and translation classes uh, kind of had stuck with me for a while, but. But I, I, I graduated college and was working in a law firm and uh, for several years and, and realized I, you know, I, I like doing research, but I, I rather preferred uh, doing research that I had, uh, was deciding what, what, what it would be. Um, thought about going back to school, um, ended up uh, uh, thinking about China. I'd had a lot more courses China-related. I was a Southeast Asian history major in, in college. And uh, and then the Tiananmen Square thing happened, and, and uh, basically knew, knowing myself, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get myself into serious t- trouble um, heading in this direction, and uh, thought back to those early encounters. And uh, uh, having decided to, to go back to, to school, uh, had to learn Japanese and, and did the, the one year intensive program at Cornell Falcon, um, and then headed to, uh, the university of Chicago the next year. Um, as far as the, the topic, um, the specific topic of this book, which was, was my dissertation work. Um, that also sort of harked back to this, this earlier moment. I, I was, Doing coursework and starting to think ahead about what what topics to uh, possibly explore for a dissertation, and uh, one professor had suggested uh, something about uh, the, the maybe looking at an, an interwar uh, philosophy and science and and and, and uh, materialism group, Yui Butsudon Kenkyufai, and 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 it was interesting to me, and but. But I, I, I was looking ahead to many long hours with uh, uh, these giant gray journals and uh, <laughs> um, a certain lack of uh, uh, excitement and fun um, and was sitting around uh, my apartment and uh, looked across the way to a bookshelf and saw a book on Buto and uh, walked over and was sort of flipping through it and and it had a picture of uh the Ampo protests and just sort of casually mentioned, well, you know, the, the 
Buto originates, this is going on, and there's also lots of other uh, funky forms of, of cultural production happening. And I thought, hmm, well, that's, that's interesting. I wonder if these two things are related in any way um, by something other than propinquity, where you line the two things up and say, hey, look. Um, and I went uh, careening through the library stacks and uh, found uh, a piece on the thousand yen incident in uh, uh, the uh, a, a, a period uh, English language journal called Concerned Theater Japan um, and uh, began looking from that point onward and uh, uh, never turned back. Just got more and more interesting uh, no matter which direction I was looking in. It's actually really interesting that you started off by being or by somebody suggesting that you look at issues of science and materialism, even if you didn't go in that direction, because it's really one of the things that struck me in reading the chapters of the book, and we'll get here um, in time in the course of our conversation, is how mm. important the language of science or the language of a kind of scientism and the language of a kind of mater a concern with materiality and embodiment really run through a lot of the work that comes up as being particularly um, emblematic of the kinds of transformations that you're talking about. I think there's probably parallels and differences. I mean, with someone like Tosaka Jin, who was a big part of that, that group, um, mm -hmm. you know, on the one hand, a very serious approach to, to science and trying to find the adequate critical language for, for ad addressing current problems. Uh, on the other hand, the interwar group also basically had to dissimulate the fact that uh, they were taking Marx and Marxism very seriously um, and trying not to instantly end up in, in prison, though many of them did end up there and some of them ended up dying there. But uh, uh, no, no one was killing these artists. They're just uh, arresting and harassing them at the time. So you've already mentioned a little bit of um, the kind of, of an introduction to what the book is about and just kind of very briefly the my little one sentence um, short version uh, the book for listeners who haven't yet had a chance to see the book it maps out a kind of ecology of politics culture and avant-garde artistic production in post-war Japan and as I mentioned earlier it's also quite beautiful as an object itself and it's a very um, it's just a, a really inspiring example of book design as well so it's, it's just a kind of a beautiful object to look through, as well as being a really fascinating story. Now, we'll get into the details of the parts of the book and the chapters in a moment. But before we get there, you've mentioned that this started out as a project in its um, first phase of life. That was your dissertation. So can you talk a little bit about that transition and really any part of the transition from dissertation to book that you feel was particularly notable, if there were any major transformations in either the structure of the work and or the way you were thinking about and conceptualizing it. Any part of that transformation that you'd like to talk about, I'd, I'd love to know if there was anything like that. Sure. Um, and, and maybe I should talk about two points, one being the transition from the research project to the dissertation, and then, uh, again, from the dissertation towards towards the book. Sure. This is both uh, important moments. One, when I originally was doing this project, uh, I, I, I initially conceived of it as, as looking at all forms of, of sort of radical cultural production in the 60s. And so I was doing research and even interviewing uh, people involved in theater and, and dance and music and uh, all, all, all kinds of, of, of 
forms of, of art and cultural production. Uh, but I eventually figured out that I was on my way to the 5,000 word dissertation or 5,000 page dissertation, probably a divorce and uh, <laughs> uh, God knows what else. Um, and, and, and fortunately I, I was, I was uh, in the process. I was getting a sense that there was a kind of discrete thing centered on the artists of the uh, Yomiuri, Yomiuri uh, uh, independent uh, um and uh, and so I focused in on that for the dissertation. So that was that was one step. Um, the the second step, though, was was of course in its afterlife after the dissertation. I, I uh, immediately after graduation, I spent two years uh, at at New York University's uh, uh, ICAS. Uh, uh, Center for um, it, they were doing a, a project on the on the Cold War mm-hmm. as global history and uh, um, it was a very intensive uh, uh, assignment. Uh, I was the Wilson postdoc there and, and was there for two years and there were there were weekly presentations and there was this w- remarkable opportunity to engage with scholars working on the Cold War all over the world and. Uh, Sort of on the basis of that, I, I I got a little bit more up to speed with with thinking about issues of global history, issues of comparability, and issues about about the '60s. I ended up uh, creating a, a, a 1960s course, a global course at that time. And and so one of the things I wanted to do when when revising this book, and it's, it's heavily heavily re- revised for the book, um, was was to deal more adequately with with this this uh, international dimension, um, and the other part was um, was sort of a, a, a kind of organic out, uh, outgrowth of, of of research, which was as I was reviewing the content and and looking uh, a little more seriously at at uh, the the art trial that 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 uh, takes center stage and in. The, the first part of the, the three-part book, um, where Akasagawa Kempe, uh, the artist, is prosecuted for the crime of money imitation uh, for making monochrome copies of the Thousand Yen Note, I, I got very interested in in the uh, the constitutional law questions that were arising uh, in the context of of the post-war constitution, in the context of Reportedly, freedoms of, of, of expression that were nonetheless constantly uh, uh, run roughshod over, um, and and the strange preservation of, of really a, a pre-war uh, censorship, uh, legal censorship apparatus, not not the not the uh, the, the, the the direct kinds of uh, uh, um, censorship of of the pre-war exactly, but rather the some of the, the law and some of the legal findings um, were still retained. And, and this, this interested me. I ended up going back to uh, constitutional debates um, during the, the crafting and the, and the shaping of uh, the post-war constitution, the diet debates, um, and, uh, and looking very seriously at how uh, this 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 post-war constitution was structured. And in the end, I ended up with a with an argument about the post-war emperor system and about policing that was grounded in this this legal and constitutional framework, uh, which which I think 
I, 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 in, in the end, I found pretty satisfactory. But at the time, uh, I was uh, it was it was a moment of, of uh, sort of concern. Uh, you know, when you when you're heading in a direction, you're not quite sure if you're wasting your time or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you seem to feel like you're out on a limb. Uh, uh, this this was this was one of those those moments because it was this this giant argument that was bulging forth in in the middle of a of an already long chapter. It ended it ends up being uh, chapter two of the book. Mm. Perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself. Here. Oh no, this is, this is actually fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> and you just mentioned um, you were just talking about the argument, right? You're sort of the a major argument that you were trying to make. Uh, shortly ago, when we were talking before we actually started the interview, you mentioned that the cover of the book actually concretizes in some way the argument that you were trying to make in the book um, as a whole. So maybe this is a good way to get into the book itself and the body of the book. Um, can you talk a little bit about this aspect of the cover and its distillation of the argument? And I'm actually fascinated to to hear about this. Certainly. Um, I, I've been... Uh, carrying around these these two images for a while, and, and really knew that I wanted to to have them be uh, the the focal point of the of the cover. Um, one was uh, the first, the bottom image, the black and white image. Um, it's a shot of protesters out in front of the diet uh, in June of 1960 uh, during the AMPO protest, the, the U.S. Japan Security Treaty renewal um, and revision protests. Um, it's shot by um, uh, the photographer uh, Ishikoro Kenji, and uh, and he's done something very interesting here. He's um, he's he's shot it with a kind of fisheye lens, and he's left uh, a, a great deal of negative space above the diet. And it's also because it's fisheye, uh, it's taken some of the banners and things, and sort of had them angling inward to some sort of strange vanishing point. Um, I've, of course, gratuitously made use of all that lovely negative space by slapping the title into it. (laughs) Um, But, but it's, I I think it's, it's really interesting because this was a photographer who um, at the time he was spending a lot of time photographing, not just the protesters, but also uh, the young men who are serving in the police forces, uh, and uh, you know, he was shot of them sleeping and, and other things, um, and, and also shooting photos of some of the the artists and, and the art that was happening at the time. And um, uh, he hadn't quite put this together in his head, but but in, in any event, um, what he captures in the photo, I think, is is a kind of sense of anxiety about the whole thing. And and I I, I, I kind of make the argument that that sort of compositionally what he's capturing is a, a sense of the the tension or even the inadequacy of 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 the protest and its focus on the diet itself as not a complete picture leaving all that negative space above it um, and and you know it's 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 a perspective that I kind of agree with um, in a sense this was um uh, you know, an attempt to uh, get the diet to recognize uh, the, the will of the protesters, their demonstration of sincerity in numbers and so forth, um, 
Uh, it, of course, had given rise to uh, the prime minister, uh, his famous uh, uh, line about, I'm, I'm, we're just hearing the, the, the noise right now, but I'm, I'm going to listen to the voiceless voices. You know, he's anticipating Nixon by about a decade, um, silent majority. Um, and uh, there's, there's a sense in which this, this protest is, is, on the one hand, sort of supplicatory. It, it requires the diet to sort of see visually the protest and to recognize and to accord with their wishes and then to do the right thing, which, of course, doesn't happen. Um, and and the other the other problem, um, though it's not it doesn't happen during the composition, obviously, of the photo itself um, is is but but maybe speaks again to the problem of this form of protest in the context of single party rule and uh, the close relation of the United States and, and Japan at that time, um, the protests themselves after they fail to prevent the security treaties renewal, um, disappear very quickly. Um, and this is a problem actually that's, that's taken up by some of the artists. Uh, I write about this. Um, the, the problem of the disappearance of, of overt political opposition and, and its vulnerability essentially to uh, arguments uh, that, that, would proceed through a kind of soft appeal to income doubling and, and so forth, um, and, and sort of uh, gentle conciliation. Um, so that's that's I, I feel is sort of all floating around with that image, and that's that's from 1960. You know? The the top image um, is is an artwork, a postcard artwork by Akasagawa Genpei. Um, one of the artists who I maybe most centrally feature in, in, in the book. And uh, uh, it's this is related to the 1970 uh, protests against the renewal 10 years later of the security treaty. Uh, and it's similar and notably different uh, from uh, from the one below. We have unarmed protesters replaced by helmeted uh, and uh, uh, armed protesters. Uh, and we have the Diet Building replaced not uh, by, by the, the 10,000 yen note. Um, it's not the 1,000 yen note because by that time uh, the, the older B-series 1,000 yen note that Akasagawa had Used as the subject of his artwork had been had been replaced. Um, uh, it was just uh, Ito Hirobumi at, at the time. Um, the the ten thousand yen note, the Ichiman uh, 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 and uh, note had gotten uh, uh, Prince Shotoku. So to maintain sort of the target on archaic imperial authority, uh, he switches to the ten thousand yen note. Um, and we have a joke. Um, a joke is is constructed with these Venn diagrams, and it's a joke that comprises his argument about art's role in this protest. Um, so on the left-hand side, we have a hand of a protester holding a rock, mm -hmm. a kanji for a rock below it. And, and on the right, uh, a wrapped art objet, um, which is 
uh, one of the, uh, and these raft works were, were one of the things that Akasegawa worked on uh, during the 60s, and that the overlap or the intersection of these two circles, um, we have uh, 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 a, a canon. And, and of course, if, if you take the character for rock and the character for rapping and put them together, you get the character for canon. Um, so we have the, the canon formed at their intersection, which fires and makes a big uh, kaboom or dopang uh, uh, on, on the 10,000 yen note. Um, and this, this artwork uh, was actually um, uh, sent to political prisoners. Akasugawa um, and uh, uh, a, a younger friend um, were engaged in, in sending these to people who were were imprisoned, uh, and it was it was a kind of it was a kind of message of hope um, to people uh, might have been losing their hope. Um, but it's but it's also it, 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 it's in its revision of the formulation of 1960. It, it sort of captures this artist's own perspective on 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 uh, what those changes were and and art's role in it, and so. So uh, taken together, the two photos provide a kind of argument of the crises about uh, my my argument about how the how the decade works uh, and, and art's role in, in this politics. Great, thank you so much. Now, as we um, sort of move from the cover of the book into the inner chapters, you mentioned early on in the book that you made a very deliberate choice about structuring it one way and not another way. So even though there's a chronology right at the beginning um, or sort of toward the beginning of the book to orient readers who really are looking for or need that kind of foundation for understanding you know, what comes after what and then what comes next, you've chosen instead to organize the narrative thematically. So, the, so you have the book, um, the eight chapters of the book broken up into three parts, each of which looks carefully at one aspect and an important aspect or set of aspects that are related to these larger arguments that you just laid out um, when talking about the cover. So can you talk a little bit about that choice as we get into the chapters themselves? Why, um, sure. why did you choose to structure it the way you did, and and how does that speak to or help um, under, help readers or listeners understand uh, the, the way that the structure is shaping the larger argument that you're making? Sure. Um, I'd be happy to. Um, uh, of, of course, the, the, the the uh, chronology is there to provide a kind of a lifeline as, as, as events hop around within the book. But, um, but essentially the structure uh, has something to do with my, my sense of, uh, you know, on the one hand are, are what's familiar to us and what's, what's often expected with, with histories and, 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 are, and are biased towards kind of simple linear narrative against, uh, against really the, the experience of history and the way in which that uh, history marks and interacts the present and and is a dimension of the present. So it's it, in part it's an argument about about how to write cultural history and 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 I, I hope uh, it, it in 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 demonstrating what this kind of a structure can then. Yield. It's it's an argument in favor of uh, these kind of flexible approaches. But 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 essentially, um, uh, I, I 
as as an exercise in cultural history, I'm, I'm asking questions about about historically situated meaning at the time, and 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 for for the activities of of principally of some artists who are doing some fairly strange and odd things. And but but once you start asking those questions about what what seems to be a, a fairly small, narrow, and oddball group, you 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 find yourself very quickly if you if you don't stop at uh, you know institutional or disciplinary borders, uh, asking some very uh, serious and broad questions about things like how does post war policing work? How do uh, what what is the continuing role of, of the experience of the occupation? Um, how do, how does the post war constitution work? And and so forth. And and by taking sort of three different parts that uh, have have particular kinds of focus. Um, uh, I get uh, a, a different set of uh, details that 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 then are sort of expanded on in in, in the next section, um, and, we, and we get a sort of deepening uh, of, of of our understanding of this moment of of, of particularly of the early sixties uh, in Japan, and and it's it's something that I think um, uh, I I would have. Uh, travestied um, or uh, uh, kind of erased if, if this had just been a very simple and straightforward exercise and, and you know chronological narrative it would have it would have involved a kind of denial of, of the the presentness of history in in these moments it really would have been a very different kind of story if you had ordered it chronologically because one of the things that happens here so we've got for for listeners um just to um let everybody know as we get into these um details here the book is organized into three parts part 1 really looks at different aspects of the prosecution of this artist um, who we will follow through the rest of the book or who we will see coming up through the rest of the book. This is Akasagawa Genpei, who you've mentioned, for his production of single-sided monochrome prints of the thousand yen note. Part two kind of opens out and looks at or kind of situates him within the larger context of uh, the avant-garde and the Yomiuri independent and this group of artists who are um, doing sort of in various ways exploring how to use their practice and their work in relation to a kind of political activism and a political protest uh, in which uh, that speaks to the larger context in which they're living. And then in the third part of the book, um, the chapters then also shift a kind of perspective and a focus to, again, um, come back to these artists and come back to Akasagawa um, in particular by looking at how they themselves are conceptualizing and are articulating their practices in their work. So it's a story that rather than um, proceeding in chronological or, or kind of unfolding in a chronological way, it asks us to take the same object and look at it from uh, successively very different kinds of perspectives and thus I think gives us a very um, different way to look at and envision not only that object but also to experience what a plurality of vision feels like and looks like as a reader um, and, and I don't think that would have been able to happen if you had uh, structured it chronologically. So just as a reader, that's that's my perspective on that. 
No, I think that's I think that's fair. I'm, I'm, sh- should I talk a little bit more about sort of how the the different parts work, or uh, well, let's, uh, like um, to get into that? Let's actually do that by getting by getting into it. So there's um, there are eight wonderful chapters. We won't be able to get into each one of them, but I think um, will I, I think most effective will be most effective in um, trying to proceed through the argument as you develop it in as many of them as we can. So we've already talked a little bit about Akasagawa. Um, you talk uh, about the nature of the project, what brings him to this um, project in which he's producing these, again, single-sided, so not double-sided, um, monochrome prints of the thousand yen note at the beginning. You talk a little bit about how his work came to the attention of state agents. Now, one of the things that comes up early in the book, though, in the first chapter or two, that's really important to situating what he's doing within a larger context, not just politically, but also conceptually, is this way of understanding his practice within this larger set of discourses around imitation versus counterfeiting, Mozo versus Gizo. So can you, and then you also render that in the book as an issue of uh, simulacra versus simulation. So that might be, I think, a really good place from which to open out. Can you talk a little bit about um, his work, what he's doing in the context of those issues, and then we can kind of open up and proceed with the story from there. Sure, sure. And, and, and maybe to say at the, at the beginning too, um, before, uh, uh, people uh, run, run away from the uh, the interview tape with a uh, uh, sense of this uh, incredibly tangled and horrible book. Um, uh, no, no. That it's sort of like, you know, I, I did my best to sort of guide people with providing not just an introduction that, that lays out the structure of the book and why it works in the way it does, but also short introductions for each of the three sections that sort of give an overview of how the, how the argument works. Um, so re- return return to your question. Um, so the 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 issue with with Akasagawa and with and in and in this first section of the book, um, I mean, it sort of begins really with with uh, what what perhaps would would be some slightly obvious or or even naive questions. Um, one being, uh, why is this artist making? monochrome copies of the thousand men note and uh, the other one being why is the state energetically going after this artist for you know, these, these works that you know, are, are, are pretty pretty awful and, and as as uh, uh, attempts at counterfeiting if you would mm-hmm. um, so but it, it, it opens into this question about about perception and about uh, a critical approach to the everyday, and that's that's sort of uh, where the, this this distinction that I make between counterfeiting or or uh, simulation, if you will, uh, and imitation or or imperfect imitation, intentionally imperfect imitation, uh, such as the Casagalas works, which which are then covered with this this eighteen ninety five. Uh, oddball statute about money imitation gives gives the state this broad authority to to criminalize these things that uh, uh, can't really be conceived of as 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 potential counterfeits, but more kind of uh, I even call it a kind of blasphemy, uh, an attack on money, and it's an attack at the moment that the state is 
uh, absolutely hinging its legitimacy on uh, the power of money involved in the burgeoning economy or the promises of, of all these things um, to diffuse uh, uh, protests and, and opposition to uh, both the single party rule and to uh, the, the state's uh, engagement of Japan in the midst of uh, America's cold and hot wars in Asia. Um, so what's, what's going on with, with Akasagawa's work is it, it's, um, if, 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 if you just make it a copy of money, say, counterfeit, trying to make uh, uh, as, as identical a, a, a thing as possible. And, and, and I talk about this as a simulation, as something that's, it's not questioning um, or struggling with or working against the ways in which uh, money itself is defined. It's sort of piggybacking on it and taking advantage of it. Um, you can imagine uh, crises being caused by these things nonetheless. I mean, this you know, counterfeiting has been used as a, as a weapon uh, against different states at different times. Um, and actually, at the time that Akasagawa was doing his work in part, he was, uh, trading on, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the power of, of thousand and note at the moment, which, which had, which was, uh, uh, under assault from a, a very serious counterfeiting ring that was producing counterfeits that, that really only bank officials could tell apart from real notes. Uh, and the newspapers were publishing these lists of serial numbers for, the counterfeit notes and people were already in the position where they were looking at the thousand yen notes with, with increased scrutiny. Um, and Akasagawa took advantage of those and used some of the, the techniques that artists are very good at using to, to, to ask questions about images and function and practice. Um, and basically where he's, I mean, it, it begins in a in a kind of playful way and exploratory way, and, and sort of expands out and then gets another life as it's uh, engaged with by by the police and by the media itself. Um, and so we have this interesting interplay between moments of artistic practice and moments of kind of uh, uh, theorizing and re-theorizing and reorientation of that practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so these are all questions that you get out of beginning with this one art work that has the state involvement. Uh, and, and it, it, I, I'm using it to, to lead into, uh, starting to unfold this, this, the whole range of, uh, artistic and, and, and critical practice that, that this that this thing is, is a piece of. Uh, right. And let's actually start moving to that. And so you, um, in just for the sake of listeners who haven't yet had a chance to see the book, these, this early first part of the book not only opens up and, and provides a really detailed account of the project, of what brought him to um, this kind of form of critique in the first place. You also give us a really useful background here on this larger social and political context that's of um, 
the allied occupation of Japan and the ways that the occupation is actually interested in preserving the figure of the emperor as this um, symbolic, uh, powerful force that also serves to reify and provide a, a powerful foothold, reify the power of and provide access to power by and for the occupation forces. And so um, you're taking us through this story that this is the larger set of issues that this project um, in counterfeiting currency is ultimately responding to and embedded in. And you talk um, in in detail in this first part of the book uh, about the ways that this project of counterfeiting money, but actually, again, not counterfeiting, right? Explicitly Mm -hmm. imitating money is a form of critique that's then situated within the larger um, forms of critique that this artist is producing, including really fascinating um, written pieces on spying and spy rules, including really interesting material objects, and including um, really kind of fascinating collage work. And in particular, I'm thinking of this project, The Ambiguous Ocean. So ultimately, mm-hmm. we, get, we get this picture at the end of the day, as you put it here, um, of currency being identified by this artist with, um, as you put it, the unconscious domination underwritten by state authority and based on the imposed identification of state-printed currency as real. So early on in the book, what we have here is a laying out of not just what the project was, where it's coming from, but really what the stakes are as well of doing this kind of project and why someone would have chosen this particular medium to affect the particular kind of critique and engagement um, that he was choosing to invoke. So as we move to the second part of the book, here we open out and understand um, Akasagawa within this larger context of artists that he is meeting, that he's engaged with, and that are part of this larger project um, of sort of critically engaging the sort of political issues that are not being engaged anymore, as you mentioned at the beginning yeah. of, the, of our conversation, by protesters after the Anpo demonstrations. Okay, so this part of the book, part two, um, locates us in the world of the Yomiuri Independence and the Yomiuri Anpan. So can you talk a little bit for listeners about um, what is the Yomiuri Independent and how do we understand um, the or Akasagawa as part of this? And can you talk just a little bit about this group? Sure. So... Um and and the history of this this book also provides yet uh, not of, of this this exhibition provides yet another moment in which the the narrative uh, ends up starting at the sixties and then going back to the occupation and then heading forward again. Um, the reason being that uh, this art comes out of uh, this this general. Uh, uh, fervent of uh, uh, avant-garde production that's that's centered on uh, the the yearly uh, Yomiuri uh, independent uh, exhibition in Tokyo um, that's held at the uh, Tokyo Municipal uh, Museum of Art um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, what I'm essentially narrating the time near the time that that Akasuga was does the node project takes off is uh, there's there's a rise of, of a, mostly a new generation of, of artists who are uh, they're coming uh, some of them have engaged with things like socialist realism uh, or other 
art forms in, in the fifties and are, are, are heading away from that and into uh, a kind of junk art. And, and uh, it, it, with, I mean, there's, there's a number of, of uh, uh, points of stimulation for this, for this work, but, but, but quite, quite frankly, there's, there's, there's a lot of local one-upsmanship and, and, and playfulness. Um, and, and junk art's handy, you know, you can get, you know, you're working with garbage, so it's not that expensive if you don't have much money. Um, and these, these exhibitions that they're using as, uh, to, to display these works, uh, works which by and large are thrown out after the exhibition, um, is, is, is a, a non-juried exhibition. This is, this is important. Um, you, for a nominal fee, you get exhibition space and you can put up whatever. Um, but asking the question of sort of where this art exhibition came from, and particularly an art exhibition sponsored by, you know, a fairly conservative newspaper, the Amiuri, uh, uh, leads back to uh, issues from the early days of the occupation, um, where uh, newspapers like the Amiuri um, were able to uh, dissimulate uh, recent history. On the one hand, history of war boosterism, uh, the Amiuri had been preeminent uh, on, that, on that account, and also um, a history of um, union busting, um, where uh, a fairly radical union at the Amiuri uh, early on is, is first encouraged by the occupation authorities uh, and, uh, and then finally reined in and, and, and fairly well stepped on. Um, but the person who, who came up with this uh, exhibition idea, it turns out, is someone who had connections to pre-war and interwar uh, and wartime surrealism um, and who was uh, apparently involved in some of these uh, uh, strike struggles and was let go for a little while and came back in the Cultural Bureau. And he, uh, a guy named Kaido Hideo, and he had, he was engaged in some of these uh, efforts by the newspaper to do these cultural uh sponsorships of, of uh, you know, famous artworks and, and, and such things. And, and he was able to use this position to argue in favor of doing an independent uh, exhibition, one that was non-juried. Um, now, there was a, a JCP-connected independent, uh, the Nihon independent that uh, was already uh, in progress. And, and actually, he he also titles his <laughs> exhibition <laughs> Nihon Independent, um, which makes for a little confusion and struggle. Um, but, but his goal was he was hoping that somehow by having an open and non-juried space that, that he could lead or help facilitate the development of, of a free and democratic and healthy Art uh, within within Japan, and and you know that it needed to be not attached to a political party, not attached to a particular viewpoint, but just free and out there. And and he got this thing going, and it and it went on for a number of years. And and uh, he and 
He's, he's quite close with the uh, surrealist uh, artist and critic uh, Takeuchi Shizo, and they're, they're discussing. Oh gosh, this is this is not really working out very well, and they decide, eh, let's let's let it let's let it putter along. And in the late fifties, uh, kind of fairly suddenly, uh, a number of these younger artists start to find it to be a conducive space to do something new, and. And that's where some of the playful, odd art of of objects, of objet, of, of installations, and so forth come from. And, and part of the book book's argument is 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 then that this this playful art focused on the the detritus of the expanding economy and the everyday world ends up generating uh, sort of out of its own non-discursive forms a focus and an attention on on the everyday world itself maybe i should pause here (laughs) for a second no this is great i mean i think um um absolutely and that's one of the things that's so fascinating about this part of the book is that after taking us through the genesis of this um independent and its roots ultimately in this concern with um, among other things, a labor struggle and a concern by artists that the kinds of um, activism, the kinds of protests that had been happening are now being closed down by, um, in, or in the context of what you call a Monty Hall moment of post-war Japanese politics, where the state is actually taking advantage of economic expansion to kind of position itself in such a way that it's closing off the kinds of protests that I think a lot of these artists, as you um, describe in the book, feel are healthy and necessary, they're finding other ways to do this by focusing on um, the everyday and bringing their art into contexts um, where you don't otherwise or hadn't otherwise um, experienced this kind of disruption of the everyday. So it becomes a form of practice as protest in a really interesting way. Um, And you've already mentioned some um, instantiations of that in this junk art. There are some fascinating examples in uh, chapter five in particular. I'll just mention for listeners of um, happenings of lots of um, different individual artists who are concerned with corporeality, who are exploring the role and the presence of the body in disrupting the everyday. Um, There's also a really wonderful account of uh, the music group who are experimenting with ideas of improvisation and automatism and automatic writing and using poetry and music to try to affect these kinds of, um, these kinds of changes. So after all of this, um, we get to the guillotines, which I have to ask you about, because this is one of the, it begins the book, and it's one of the most fascinating cases. Um, could, could, so, could, before, before, we, before we get to that, could I just say just, just something course. really quickly about, about sort of the role of the everyday here and the role of looking at these artists? Of course. Just, of just course. Very, very, very quickly. Um, so I've, I have an argument here in, in this section about how the state after AMPO is using uh, the economic expansion using it's sort of moving in front of and championing uh, and using as alibi the economic expansion to to depoliticize people and it's using uh, an economic expansion that that could not be more political there's there's you know tech transfers and and there's money coming through uh, Japan from both of the Asian hot wars and all sorts of things but the, but but you know, refrigerators don't show up with like pictures of carnage on them. So, so it's, it's, these things are, 
are um, the way the way the political legitimacy is working. It's it's working through an apparently unproblematic everyday world, and and it's and in part it has to do with where artists are at and this international moment in art too that allows them to have a sort of heightened kind of scrutiny and start to ask questions about the role of this everyday world in, in depoliticizing people um, that puts ends up putting artists out in front uh, and recognizing uh, what what I argue that have become sort of key issues for, for 60s politics. Great. Yes, thank you. And this actually... Um this brings us, I think, really nicely into the last part of the book in part three, where we see these concerns being manifest in a different kind of setting. Part three of the book consists of three chapters that each look closely at how the artists themselves are conceptualizing, as, as I mentioned before, and writing about um, and sort of making articulate the practices and their work. Now, uh, Chapter 6 looks specifically at a couple of cases of this, um, which are are very striking um, and seem, at least from the narrative of the book, to be very powerful and very important moments in which some of these ideas and some of these practices are crystallized in terms of an effort to conceptualize the everyday as a space of political activism. One of the examples, which is um, really interesting, was an attempt or a failed plan from late 1962 and 1963 to erect a giant guillotine in the Imperial Plaza. Um, So can, can you talk a little bit about that and maybe as a way to open up into the larger concerns of this part of the book so it it was an art incident that never happened um but uh yet nonetheless is is somewhat transformative uh in 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 late 1960 Mm -hmm. early 1961 um uh in in the central review journal uh um uh there's a short story published by uh fukuzawa shichido that has a dream sequence in which uh, uh, the imperial family is is, is executed, is beheaded, and uh, there's, there's also a, a, a lot of uh, sort of uh, uh, fairly, fairly uh, uh, raunchy and aggressive humor at, uh, at their expense. And, and one of the ramifications of this is, is that uh, uh, a writer's group sends... Uh, a young assassin to the house of the publisher, Shimonaka Hoji. Um, uh, he's out, um, so the, the assassin uh, stabs the maid to death and stabs his wife, who survives. And, and in the end, uh, the publisher comes out, Shimonaka comes out, and uh, apologizes very deeply and sincerely uh, for having uh, offended anyone. And, and this is... Uh, uh, effectively, the, the resumption of uh, what had been called the, the chrysanthemum temple against against being critical about the emperor, um, and there were lots of reactions to this. But one set was from a couple artists, Imaizumi um, Yoshihiko uh, and uh, Nakanishi Natsuyuki, um, who were were already disturbed by the disappearance of activism and, and overt op, uh, opposition after Ampo and uh, were, were, were quite horrified at, at uh, 
uh, the, this this reaction, and uh, they started having very serious conversations about the feasibility of making a kind of giant art guillotine, erecting it in the Imperial Plaza, and they had a number of uh, versions of this, one the kind of threshing machine with pickaxes and spades, sort of the influence of labor, another one that was going to be all glass so that if it you know, was used, the whole thing would just kind of explode into shards, and, and, uh, um, and of course they, they couldn't do this, but, but but it was it was less about sort of hey let's let's actualize the fantasy sequence from from this short story and rather um, it was it was a kind of a symbolic attack on on uh, an imperial institution that that itself was affected because of its symbolic status. I mean, part of this is an argument in the book about how policing and how the imperial institution works as a kind of alibi for paternalistic state authority post-war that allows the state to then uh, run across um, what should be clear lines, constitutional lines about about freedom of expression and, and other other aspects. It, it, it sort of has the alibi of the presence of the emperor to do these things. Um, so the the the, the the Equipment Plan is the title of a piece where uh, Imaizumi, uh, having failed in, in actually realizing this, this, this thing, um, writes up the plan and becomes one ingredient for uh, what, what becomes later a, a round table that takes, this, takes up this failed plan and also takes up this other strange experiment uh, on the Yamanote uh, sort of oval. Uh, line around central Tokyo that, that actually is carried out by artists like Nakanishi and some others. Um, and uh, the, the artists, uh, having, having had one realized event and one failed event, talk about art and effectivity and, and, and making a difference and, come up and, and develop this discourse of direct action, Chokusetsu uh, Kodo. Um, that revisits uh, touchstones of, of, you know, anarchist direct action, uh, but also uh, provides a kind of uh, a, a artistic spin on it, I guess, is or rather a how how to possibly take some of their practice coming out of art to then mobilize in some some way that'll be politically effective. Thank you so much. Now, as we, um, I, don't, I don't want to keep you for two hours, so I'm going to um, kind of uh, distill a little bit of what's going on in these um, final chapters as we come to um, what's going to be the conclusion of our conversation. But I just want to at least take us through briefly what's happening in chapter seven and chapter eight. Now, in this, in these parts sure. of the book. Uh, the, our story about Akasagawa is coming full circle now. So we opened up with a discussion of what his project was, understood that over the course of the book within um, an increasingly um, wider or, or differently focused context in which he was working and from which a project like the um, currency project emerged and, and made sense and made sense as a kind of practice that was actually about much more than potentially, you know, creating these objects um, just for their own sake as, as a art, art piece. 
we come here in chapter 7 and in chapter 8 back to his own statements and successive statements and successive understandings of his own work and of sort of how he is dealing with the ramifications of that work in its engagement with the state and with the consequences um, that he's being faced with in the prosecution and the aftermath of the prosecution for himself. So do you want to just take a a couple of moments to talk a little bit about um, what's happening in Chapter 7, Naming the Real? I mean, here, um, this chapter looks closely at his article called Theses on Capital Realism from 1964, and this is his reply to police interrogation and to a newspaper article about this case that actually gave a really distorted sense of the nature and the events surrounding his work. And so um, if there's anything about this chapter in particular that you feel is especially um, important to the kind of argument that you're making here, um, please, um, I would love to to hear your thoughts. Sure. So so the the whole of chapter three is is an attempt at a kind of microhistory to really look at how, how, how politics happens, how you get this interplay between practice and these moments of theorization because we have such re- kind of remarkable documentation uh, on this one group. Um, we can kind of see them evolving different uh, moments of theorization in relation to the practice. So, so chapter 7, uh, Akasagawa has had his, his uh, police interrogations travestied in, in, in the press, and and he comes back with this very extensive statement, and and I look at it and I, I I contextualize it in terms of what he's been doing for the past year or so uh, in terms of his own artistic works, and and I end up making an argument about how in fact the the art group uh, High Red Center that he's one one part of. Uh, uh, is 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 actually trying to to actualize this uh, notion of artistic direct action, um, and this is the moment where he really puts a name to it. Uh, he he argues in favor of a kind of uh, critical practice of of what he calls capitalist realism. Uh, if, if 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 socialist realism is a kind of uh, hopeful depiction of the reality of uh, people power and the ultimate triumph of the workers or so forth. Um, capitalist realism is an attempt, it's also realism, it's an attempt to depict how capitalism itself works, how the state uh, uh, works in, in conjunction with it. This is, this is where the assault on money comes from. Um, and and it's, it's an attempt to formulate uh, a, an art practice, or I should say a practice, um, High Red Center doesn't use the word art, um, practice adequate to uh, having art fulfill its most serious function, which is to, to sort of uh, uh, explore and, and depict uh, how things are actually working and, 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 and to do it at a kind of uh, a level of of appearances where where the unpro- unproblematic appearance of things that go unthought of uh, is interrogated as the as the very scene for a kind of hidden domination. Um, that's the that's sort of the critical import of this practice. And and so we have Akasago's works and dialogue with the works, his his writings um, as they sort of slowly. Uh, uh, 
focus this uh, the, the sort of uh, implicit elements of his practice into a disarticulate uh, statement that's nonetheless fairly wacky. Now, as we come to the close of the book, um, Chapter 8 looks at his response to his indictment on November 1st, 1965. And then the epilogue actually takes us into a kind of conclusion of this story. And, so, and it's actually very funny. It's very touching, but also very amusing. So could you maybe um, bring us to a conclusion before we um, really conclude by saying a little bit about what happens to him after his indictment, sort of what, where does the story leave him and where does it leave us in our relationship to him? I mean, I, I, I guess maybe I should um, say in general, um, you know, one of the concerns that some people have had with this book is that, um, you know, perhaps I'm giving too much uh, agency to to the state. And I, I do make kind of snide notes about about the state as, as a, a great appreciator or aficionado of this art. But um, um, the, the argument of the book has to do with uh, the way in which the artists are working uh, against uh, a kind of what I call policing following Jean Francier, the way, the way in which the everyday world itself is working against political opposition um, and the state's investments in it. And, and, and so we get it. In this third section, we, we eventually get the, the state intervening with the Kasagawa, but it's, but it's sort of it's kind of batting cleanup. It's a secondary intervention against what you know, was what is much more predominant, which is this unproblematic appearance that that, that organizes a kind of soft domination that's that's happening. So so this this last section deals with the Kasagawa's final formulations prior to uh, going into uh, into the courtroom and dealing with. Uh, uh, in, in part, the problem of being reduced back to a kind of unproblematic category of art, which is not supposed to do things in the world, um, and he has to he has to take on this uh, point by uh, by virtue of the, the way that the, the legal uh, argument has to go, um, uh, and and. Uh, But I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go through mm-hmm. too much of that because I think I'm, I'll, I'll burn up the rest of my time. But um, um, you know, uh, uh, in in the end, I mean, he's 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 convicted, and he goes through two appeals, and and in 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 the end, they they totally let him go. They give him a suspended sentence. They give him back all of his artworks except for except for the block that's used to to make the impressions of the thousand yet note. Um, and uh, you know, but they've, but they've uh, you know occupied you know five years of his time, and uh, 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 you know, in, in in the end, I guess the argument in part it's 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 not a biography of Akasagawa. It's it's trying to follow out sort of the the evolutions of of, of his thinking on this, and and as. Uh, as as an example of, of some of the the the, uh, the unpredictable and impression places that this this art activism goes, um, it's a different work I think, uh, and will be a different work to think about sort of the 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 other unforeseen advents of this politicality elsewhere in the 60s in Japan, 
um, uh, but the the the, uh, uh, the art trial itself was uh, uh, a, a a a fraught and strange moment, um, uh, which apparently had a lot of uh, uh, unexpected attendees. Apparently, uh, Maro Apaji, uh, the later founder of Dada Khan, who's uh, one of uh, Karajudo's uh, actors, uh, is, is a regular attendee of the. Mm-hmm. Of, of the trial and, and some others. Um, this isn't quite the wrap up that we're <laughs> looking for, though. I think. No, no, this is um, <laughs> no, this is great. I mean, I think there's um, there's so much about the book that is going. There's so much that's going on in the chapters, and there's so much about the book that we didn't. Um, have a chance to talk about. And I would love to have had another hour to talk about um, <laughs> all of the arguments that you're making about his use of scientific language, the importance of the wrapping of mm. objects, um, the importance of the notion of moments that emerges as part of the uh, kind of radical practices um, that a lot of these artists are engaged, or a lot of these practitioners, um, however we want to label them um, in ways that they didn't label themselves, are actually engaging in. There's so much about the book that perhaps as a way of closing, um, the the best thing to do is to ask you um, what you would like to close with in the book. Is there anything in particular that we didn't have a chance to talk about um, in these very rich eight chapters that you'd like to mention and that you'd perhaps like to leave listeners with, especially um, listeners who haven't yet had a chance to read the book? So I, I guess one thing I would say is, is a sort of combined point both about cultural history and about politics, and that is um, one of my implicit arguments in the book is that uh, what's what's important to follow if you're if you're interested in, in questions of, of, of politics uh, is often not so much sort of uh, giant masses of people in the streets, um, but rather asking questions about sort of how political demands get articulated in the first place and how how group of schools get formed and how they get their own kind of odd language that seems to make sense and 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 that's really how I'm reading the artists and and try and why I take their words so very seriously um, that it's if, if you just look at you know people in the street you, you, you're unable to account for well how did they get there in the first place what process led people to feel like okay there is this political problem and I must act and, and that, I've argued, is, is, is a kind of group of skill moment. And, and so if we, can, if we can get out of sort of thinking about just, you know, oh, these are artists um, and thinking about these, these are people who are, who are uh, in a fraught moment, who are coming at it from, you know, the perspective that they have at the time. And here's how they come together uh, and formulate their own specific take on things that ends up being uh, quite uh, out in front for uh, what what becomes some of the central uh, themes of political activism in the later sixties. Um, then I then I think we can better understand sort of the, the the importance of these artists and not not necessarily just saddle them with uh, the problems of, of of thinking of of art where we stop thinking at the sort of at the borders of the, the institution, the, the gallery, the, the art museum. Um, so that's, that's sort of what I was trying to do like, by, by, by taking their work and their words 
seriously and then and to try and uh, finish up with this uh, you know, real close reading of, of, of that work uh, as, as a way of identifying how how a kind of political language gets gets created gets articulated however weird. Um, and there are some there are some seriously weird moments in it but you know that's that's to be expected that's how that's how small groups come together in the first place they, they, they develop their own language in, 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 in part that's 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 kind of the point if they were speaking very easily recognized obvious things they wouldn't be saying anything new well, thank you so much, William, for taking the time to talk with me about this book. And I think as is clear, there's a lot more that we could have talked about. Um, but now that this book is out and congratulations on uh, the publication of this book, what's next for you? What project or projects are currently inspiring you? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, when I had originally done this, I was thinking of looking at uh, not just art, but, but a whole series of, of, of cultural works in, in, in the 1960s. Um, and, and although that was not uh, a suitable project for a book or a dissertation, um, the conception wasn't wrong. Um, there was, there's so much interplay uh, across genres and I've tried to gesture towards that a bit in this book, but, um, I, I really want to unfold some more of that and to link it more explicitly with, with some of the moments of activism. Uh, I've, I've written a piece on, on Japan in 1968, uh, in the American Historical Review, uh, uh, that that looks at sort of the genesis of uh, what I argue is sort of the space for a 68 in Japan. Um, so I'm I'm bringing together these elements and trying to look uh, uh, more generally or more broadly at at some of these distinct political moments in in the 1960s and while taking up some of these other other forms of, of, of cultural production and political production. Well, best of luck with that work and thank you again for taking the time to talk today. <laughs> thank you so much, Carla. I appreciate it. You've been listening to New Books in East Asian Studies. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you next time.